Good afternoon, everybody. It is good to be here with you, and it's good to see you. It was great to hear Dr. Allen uh, preach this morning, he, or this afternoon. He's stretched out from the gate, right? Yeah, that was good. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this space at this time with one another. Uh, God, we thank you for what we've heard thus far and in these moments that you have allowed me to share uh, with this gathering. I pray, Lord God, that these people would be edified, they'd be encouraged, they'd be empowered. And when we leave this space, we'd be both elevated and excited to run on and do that which you have called us to do, uh, that which you have purposed us to do, uh, and that which we are trying to do in ways that are effective and will turn the world upside down in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's good to be with you. Uh, I am going to talk just for, I guess we have an hour. For an hour, I'm going to talk to you about crafting Christ-centered sermons. Is that all right? Okay. And, and we'll try to do some justice. So we'll, we'll provide you kind of with a clear process for crafting sermons that will highlight the person and the work of Jesus. And I hope that when we leave these moments that you at least have a clear framework uh, on how or how to begin a framework for crafting uh, sermons that are Christ-centered. So I want to start here. There is no preaching moment that is void of the actual preacher. Uh, can you look at the person at your table and say, you bring you to your preaching moment? Yeah, you bring you to your preaching moment. And, and no matter how much we say or uh, hide me behind the sacred desk, you know, we like to pray that prayer, uh, that the people see all of you and none of me, yet you're standing there and we see all of you, right? Uh, or, or help me get out of the way so that people can see you. The truth is the nature of preaching means that the preacher is always present, notwithstanding that we are the voice and the body that's being used to convey the truth in the life of the gospel, but also present in every preaching moment are our beliefs. Our theological ideas, assumptions, presumptions, whatever they are, are very present in every sermon that we craft. The bottom line is the preacher shows up to and in every preaching moment. Uh, my daddy used to tell me, wherever you go, you bring yourself with you. So, so if we are providing a framework for crafting sermons that are Christ-centered, there are some things that we have to be clear about. And the first thing is, what does Christ-centered mean to you? Right? We've got to ask ourselves that question. What does Christ-centered mean to me? The, the second thing is, uh, what do I believe to be true? or valuable about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That, that sometimes we're, we're just writing sermons and putting words together and they sound really good, but, but we've got to go beyond words that sound really good and ask ourselves, do I really believe what I am saying? Do, are these really, really the things that, that I stand on? Because understand this, you will rarely preach outside of your theological ideas. And if you do, then you're getting up there lying. Right, so if you're, you're preaching something that you fundamentally do not believe and you're preaching it uh, so that other people will believe it, then, then you're, you're lying. You're, you're a fraud. And, and God hasn't called any of us, right? This work is too hard for us to be fraudulent as we do it. And, and so what are your uh, beliefs? What 
do you believe to be true and what do you believe to be valuable about the person and the work of Jesus? Uh, one of my uh, favorite clips uh, to watch on YouTube is a lecture by the late Dr. Matt King Carter. And he starts, you know, talking about how you can't out preach your life. And basically, he's encouraging preachers to live in a way uh, because our spoken sermons can be made irrelevant by our lived ones. Right. That, that what people see us do can override what people hear us say. But I also want to say you can't out preach your ideology. And so your theological and Christological and sociological uh, ideas, they will all show up in your preaching. And this is good, but it's also dangerous. Right. Uh, why do we have to constantly engage in this is why we have to constantly engage in introspection and do the things that are necessary for our own wholeness uh, because uh, raggedy ideologies are often what decentralize Jesus in our preaching. Uh, the moment that Jesus is no longer at the center of our preaching, our preaching becomes compromised. And none of us is beyond, can I, I'm going to tell y'all this, uh, don't get your feelings hurt, it's just the truth. So you ready to embrace it? Y'all love the truth, right? Throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care if you love the truth. Okay, one person. You're great, I'm glad you're in the room. But, but understand this, none of us is beyond the reach of raggedy. It, it doesn't matter how well you preach, it does not matter how many amens you get, none of us is beyond the reach of raggedy. And sometimes, we are raggedy in our uh, Christ-centeredness, raggedy in our Christology, raggedy in our ideologies, and people are saying, preach, go for it. People are cheering us on, and we're standing there, and we're, we haven't even asked ourselves second-level questions like, do I really believe what I'm saying, or am I just being an echo of what I've heard other people say that rouse people up? So, so the next question we've got to ask ourselves when we're crafting uh, sermons that are Christ-centered is this, how is my Christology relevant to the lives of those who will hear this sermon? Uh, essentially, how does his life live in theirs? See, every sermon that we preach is going to produce fruit. And so this is why the proclamation of the gospel has to be taken seriously. The fruit of every message will always cause the hearer to walk away with some idea or ideas about God uh, and themselves. And so every sermon that we preach will either draw someone closer to Jesus or push them further away. It may draw someone closer to purpose or push them further away. It may draw someone closer to what they think is purpose, and then they will in turn push other people away. Right? So, so as we're considering the impact of our Christology on the sermon, it's good to ask, is this helping the hearer to actually connect with the life of Jesus? Do y'all hear me? Right? It is what I'm saying. Is uh, this sermon, is this message actually causing the hearer to actually connect with the life of Jesus? And then is my Christology, what I fundamentally believe, and what I'm standing up here saying congruent. Does it add up? So, so if, what we if what I believe is that Jesus came, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, then why am I preaching that this journey with him is simply a list of don't do's? And, and that everything is off limits, 
right? That people can't even go to a Beyonce concert. That I mean, we can't do anything, right? Everything is sending us. If I believe that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, then why are we sending people to hell in our sermons every week? That if, if we believe that Jesus is a liberator, then why are we preaching sermons in the name of Jesus that oppress people? See, Jesus is not a weapon. We've got to think it through and ask ourselves these important questions that uh, after, even after we've crafted the sermon, that uh, these points that I've made, are, are they valid points and are these points saying something about Jesus and not only are they saying something about Jesus but am what I am saying about Jesus uh, is it consistent with my Christology and then this next question is my Christology good who benefits here's another question to ask who benefits from the making of this point and is anybody harmed in the process Right? Our, our preaching can establish systems and modes of thinking, and some of them are good, some of them can be bad, some are helpful, some are worthless, right? And some incredibly harmful. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, right? We all interrogate the text. We know that as we're preparing sermons, we should interrogate the text. But when was the last time you interrogated your own sermon? Right? When was the last time you interrogated the final product? Now you can't do that if you're writing them on Saturday afternoon, right? Because Sunday is like coming fast. But if you write a little earlier in the week, like Sunday evening, Monday or something, you might have a little more time to interrogate your stuff. I'm just, I just added that in there. Uh, but uh, we, we've got to ask her, like, show me a scripture where Jesus came to harm people. So I'll, I'll shift gears. So that was the introduction. How am I doing on time? Is that only 10 minutes? Get out of here. That says 50 minutes and 21 seconds. All right, so we'll take our time, but I want to shift gears. So why do we preach? Uh, David Buttrick in his homiletic moves and structures gives a theology of preaching. And what he says is that our preaching commissioned by the resurrection is a continuation of the preaching of Jesus. Uh, that Jesus comes preaching. Uh, God's word is spoken. It constitutes community. Uh, and God's word always in some way takes flesh. That preaching pulls together humanity. There's no qualifications. There's no stipulations. That to hear preaching, one must only be human. I love that. Because we tend to spend a lot of time qualifying who can receive or be on the receiving end of God's grace but if the only qualification to hear preaching is to be human, right, then the only qualification to receive God's grace is to be what? All right. So we preach Jesus as a witness to his resurrection. The next thing that he says is that in our preaching, Christ continues to speak to the church and through the church to the world. That, that uh, Christian preaching reveals and continues the work of Jesus by calling and liberating and forming a new humanity. That the mystery of preaching is the mystery of grace. And so we don't preach just so that the church can survive. 
Oh, right. It's important, right? Especially in a post-COVID world where many people are trying to rebuild their churches and people are trying to make sense of the church. And we spent like three years saying the churches we knew it will never come back. And so we've got to preach in a post-pandemic way and do all of this. We don't preach to save the church. We, we don't preach just so that our local assemblies can survive. That is indeed a byproduct of faithful preaching, but that's not why we preach. Our preaching is so that through our words, Christ can continue to save and reveal and redeem. And so next he says that the purpose of preaching is the purpose of God in Christ, which is reconciliation of the world. See, preaching liberates and it sets free. We speak to set folks free. And there's no redemption without liberation. And between the resurrection and the return, I'm so glad that God left us preaching. Are there any preachers in the room that are just glad that between the resurrection and the return, we get to preach about this stuff? Then the next thing that he says, this is the fourth thing. Did y'all get all four? Y'all good? Are you keeping up with me? Uh, preaching evokes a response. And the response to preaching is a response to Christ and faith and is a response to preaching is a response to Christ and is faith and repentance. We, we don't just believe in Jesus, but in believing in him, we also believe in the kingdom. And the kingdom is a community that Jesus established here in the earth. And faith comes by hearing. We hear the gospel preached and it changes our lives. Do I have any witnesses? That we hear the gospel preached and it changes our lives. That's the fourth thing. Here's the fifth one. Uh, preaching is the word of God in that it participates in God's purpose. It's initiated by Christ and is supported by the spirit uh, with community in the world. We've got to remember as we're crafting Christ-centered uh, sermons and as we are doing this work that Christ is at the center of that we are not God. I'll tell you another thing. Your voice is not God's voice. You're not God, and your voice is not God's voice. We simply offer the voice that we have to God so that God can use it to God's glory for the transformation of the lives of our hearers. Preaching is human activity, and it draws on human understanding and employs human homiletical skills that can be learned and fine-tuned and grown. And so we preach by grace. Uh, and if it is grace, the grace of God that allows us even to stand for the task, then Christ-centered sermons should also be crafted with a lot of grace in mind. The mystery of preaching is that God uses humans like you and like me to carry a, a gospel that is incredibly divine. And with all of that said, the task of preaching has to start with prayer. In fact, it starts with a lifestyle of preparation. Uh, if you're going to preach sermons that are Christ-centered, you can't only be thinking about Christ when it's time to craft the sermon. But this has to be a lifestyle. This relationship with Jesus has to be something that is alive and growing and, and doing well, whether we have a sermon to preach or not. Can you ask your neighbor for me, how are you doing with Jesus? Are, are you current with the Lord? 
Are you current with the Lord? I know that you know all of the theological terms and you're learning all of this stuff, but are you really current with the Lord? Do you have your finger on the pulse of his will concerning your life and not just a bunch of good sermons? The task of preaching uh, is always going to be larger than the preacher. And the life of the preacher will always be larger than the task of preaching. And so before we are preachers in this life, we are Christians. And after we're preachers, because maybe for some of us, there'll be life after the pulpit, right? And after we will still be Christians. Before God called us, we were Christian. Before somebody licensed or ordained us or called us to a pulpit, right? We were, hopefully, uh, we were already Christian, right? And so we're going to be that. And we've got to make sure that on a daily basis, we are fine tuning that relationship with the Lord because we cannot out preach where we are with Jesus. Are y'all with me? Is that okay? All right. So it's important in our preaching that we also, so we preach a historical gospel, but, but it still lives today. It happened a long time ago, but it's still unfolding in the lives of real people. So it's important that in our preaching, we are able to take people there. We, we can't physically take them back to the context and the time that scripture was written, right? But through the careful and intentional use of words and tones and expressions and language, we can help them to feel and to live a sermon, in essence, uh, we don't want them to just hear sermons, but we would like them to see their lives in the sermon and see the points where his life connects with their lives in the sermon, not just pour out a bunch of information that is lofty and that they can't uh, make sense of, but in our sermons, how are we connecting in very real ways this life of Christ with the life of these real people that he wants so desperately to be in relationship with? How are we helping people to see themselves walking through Jerusalem with Jesus, sitting at the well with the Samaritan woman or being uh, the Samaritan sitting at the well with Jesus, seeing themselves be healed like the man from Galilee or even seeing themselves be seated in heavenly places with Jesus. And so we've got to be mindful of every single detail of the sermon. Got to be mindful of the stories that we tell. And if our sermons are Christ-centered, then it means that we cannot be the hero. Right? When was the last time you uh, take, took an inspection of the kind of stories that you tell? Uh, one of the worst things for me is, is to listen to a preacher get up and just talk about themselves for, for like hours. I mean, they just do everything right from, from everything that they've done. They just do it all right. And they're just amazing. But, but anything that makes us look equal to or close by Jesus is a no-no. Because it really is just bad etiquette to get up and spend 30 or 46 minutes or, you know, 80 talking about yourself. And so, so maybe sometimes if, if we are the hero, and, and in our sermons, we outshine Jesus, right? Then, then one, you know that that's not a Christ-centered sermon if you are at the center, uh, because there only can, there's only one spot at the center, right? So if you are putting yourself there, then that means that you've displaced Jesus in it. But, but you can adjust the story. Don't tell it like it's your own. Just tell it like it's somebody that you heard. You know, you heard a story about someone. But do everything that you can to decenter yourself. 
Help me say, look at your neighbor and say, decenter yourself. That's all right. That's good. That's good. Uh, how, how are we framing the gospel message? This gospel message within itself is offensive, right? That people will be offended by it. Um, and, and there's some parts of that that we just can't help. And, and so we just keep on preaching. But, but we don't want to be offensive. Do you, do you hear me? Right? The gospel inherently is offensive because it's challenging norms. It's always going to challenge systems. It's always going to challenge that which is first nature to a sinful humanity. Right? So it's offensive. But that doesn't mean as a preacher that you want to get up there and be offensive in your own right, right, in your own ways. And so how are we framing it? It is offensive, but offensive to whom? See, the gospel is not offensive to people who desperately need it. It's only offensive to those who stand to lose power that wasn't theirs to begin with because of it, right? Empire is offended. Uh, the sick, the poor, the unfulfilled, flawed, pe- flawed people looking for a better way. I've never seen them offended by the life, death, burial, resurrection, and continuing to unfold message of Jesus Christ. And so as communicators of this message, we've got to make sure that we are telling it accurately. Write that down. Since so many of y'all are taking notes, write that word down. Accurately. Spell it however you want to spell it. Accurately right? That we are telling this story accurately and not just accurately, but we're also telling it responsibly. And so what does that mean? It means that we've got to deal with all of it. There's some difficult parts of the biblical Jesus. That Jesus who was fully God and was also fully human. And some of us like to stick to the more divine text and graze over all the stuff where Jesus' humanity is just kind of hanging out there. That, that we want to deal with a Jesus who performs miracles and heals the, the blinded eyes. But, but how well are we dealing with a Jesus in Gethsemane? Right? That, that how do y'all see that it's, Jesus is more anguished in Gethsemane, yielding to the will of God, than, than anything that he even expresses from the actual cross. Go back and read it, because this lecture is not about that passage, but go back and read it. He's more anguished in Gethsemane about getting to the place where he's saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, than what anything that, that we see in the text of Jesus saying from the actual cross. Take this cup from me. I'm sorrowful even to death. Nevertheless, not my will. Or Jesus not going to rescue John the Baptist and then referring to the Syrophoenician woman as a dog. We've got to deal with all of this stuff, right? Uh, And we cannot be afraid to explore and tackle all of it and look at Jesus from every angle because there's something in him for everyone. And we are never preaching to homogenous groups of people. Everybody in the room is not, uh, has not been on the same path. They've not taken the same journey. They don't have the same background. They don't comprehend at the same level. And so maybe one week, for those of you that pastor and you're preaching to the same group of people every week, uh, one week you might hit one group of people. And then the next week you hit another group of people. But we've got to look at Jesus from every angle. 
from every angle. We've got to look at the passage and not be afraid to deal with the stuff that's a little messy. Shy away from the stuff. Listen, that, that after the fire falls and the people on the day of Pentecost, uh, after the fire falls and the people are standing there, they're amazed and perplexed and trying to figure out what just happened. They ask this question, what could all of this mean? And then Peter gets up and does what? He preaches, preaches. He preaches about uh, what exactly just happened. He answers their question with a sermon. And so our sermons are meaningful. I heard Dr. William Curtis, William Houston Curtis, uh, talk about how we get to redefine. You're not going to preach that, right? <laughs> right? That, that we get to, through our preaching, redefine and reinterpret moments. And that is part of the task of this Christ-centered preaching is that we take these moments, not just moments that happen in the world, but even what's happening in scripture and what's happening in the text and people trying to make sense of faith and what it means on a daily basis. And we have the opportunity through Christ-centered preaching to interpret and define and bring shape to those things. But we've got to be, uh, we, we have to be responsible and, and deal with the text in ways that are fearless deal with the stuff that, that we're uncomfortable with, explore the areas that, that don't make sense to us. So Peter gets up and preaches. And this is what I love about Peter's story is that he's the disciple whose confession was the rock upon which Jesus said he would build his church. And then in Acts, the second chapter, we're moving right along. We've got 35 minutes left. Uh, Acts, the second chapter, one of my favorite examples of a Christ-centered sermon is Peter after that Pentecost event occurs, Peter preaches Jesus. And this is vital because uh, foundation, and that's what Peter gives them. They're asking, what in the world just happened? What does all this mean? He gets up and he gives them foundational understanding. Here's the thing. Foundation can prevent foolishness. On the heels of something that they never experienced before, he provides context for them. The people are asking, what does this mean? And Peter's sermon lets them know. What does he let them know? That Jesus is real. That, that what this means is that, that Jesus is real. And what does all of this mean? It means that, that Jesus is real. That that is the foundation, friends, of our Christ-centered preaching. It's how we can. It's what we are preaching. It's, it's what makes a difference, even for our hearers in Jesus' physical absence, that what they are experiencing is directly related and directly connected to his life. Jesus was central to all of this. And we have to keep Jesus at the center of everything that we do. We've got to keep Jesus at the center of the church because I fundamentally believe that Preaching, the proclamation is at the center of the church. That, that everything that we want to see happen in the church, if it's not preached, we won't see it. Right? Everything that, that we need to happen, it starts with the proclamation. We've got to understand that it's important for our preaching to remain Christ-centered so our churches can also remain Christ-centered. So that the disciples that our preaching is making, that they will be disciples who have an awareness of how important it is to keep Jesus at the center of their lives. And when they do, 
Uh, it just makes for a, a much better uh, Christian community. It makes for much stronger believers and, and servants of God. But Jesus is the church. And the church is centered on Jesus. And Peter, uh, in his sermon, makes it very clear on the day that the New Testament, right, Christian church was born. And so I know that the contemporary church, we, we kind of, we have all these things that say, uh, or that we think makes church relevant, right? That, that we've got aesthetics, LED screens, right? People spending thousands of dollars to install LED screens and then there's the big social media presence and all of these things. And I'm not saying don't have these things, but I'm saying they are not the central thing. And if you're spending more time trying to figure out how you can employ those things, uh, then you are figuring out how you can keep Jesus at the center of your preaching and at the center of your community and in every area of the life of your church, then we have a problem. Uh, Valerie Ellis, y'all don't know her, I do. She's the first person that I added to the staff uh, at, at Shiloh Baptist Church two years ago when I became the pastor. She died two weeks ago. And when I went to visit a sister Valerie in the hospital as she was on her deathbed and, and I was sitting with her and, and, you know, she didn't ask about LED screens. She didn't ask me any questions about social media presence or who had said what and who said anything on Twitter and how many people were following the church and how many likes we got. But she asked me to read scripture to her. She asked me to sing what a friend we have in Jesus. And so I stayed at JFK Hospital because in her final moments, none of that stuff mattered to her. She wanted to go out of here hearing about Jesus and having Jesus reinforced in her life. And so we must keep Jesus at the center. And I'm not saying the other stuff is not important. It's just not as important. It's not important at the expense of the centering of Jesus in everything that we do. Get this, uh, if, if you have all of these other things and Jesus is not central, then you don't have a church. In fact, I'll even say this, you can preach to thousands of people in your edifice every week. And if Jesus is not at the center, you are not preaching to a church. Peter's proclamation tells us this, that Jesus is the foundation and that the whole story works together. That Peter proclaims that, that the same Jesus who promised the Holy Ghost is the same one who the prophets talked about for gen of generations before they were even born. And here it is, that, that on the day of Pentecost, the sermon that is preached, this foundational sermon is all about Jesus about Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, that, that he was more than just the average carpenter. But this Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, was also God, that he is God. And then he goes through his story that, that you took him by lawless hands, but God raised him up. That you killed him, but it was not possible for death to hold him. 
that, that this, this Jesus is real. I'm telling you, it's a Christ-centered sermon. And he says this Jesus is real, the real Messiah, the real Savior, the real King, that he was everything that he said he was and everything that we experienced him to be. There's what Jesus said, but there's also what we experienced. Uh, are y'all with me? Uh, how many of you have heard what Jesus said? You read in Scripture what Jesus said. Raise your hand. Show me your hands. You read. That is so good that we're at a preacher's conference and a room full of people have actually read what Jesus said, right? But, but then there's this next level of revelation, not just the reading, but how many of you have this testimony? You can't make me doubt him. Right. I know too much about them. So there's what we've read. But then there's also what we have experienced that seals the deal that tells us he's not just what he said, but he's what he said he was and so much more. And that's what Peter is talking about on the day of Pentecost, that he's real. He's the real savior. He's everything that he said he was and all that we have found him to be. Peter connects their prior knowledge to this new knowledge. Now, I, I, a background, a teacher. Before, before I was working full-time, I was a teacher. Probably not that good of a teacher, um, but I was teaching and getting the check for it for several years. Uh, but but in, in, in teaching, if you're writing lesson plans, anybody ever written a lesson plan before? There are some things that have to be in every lesson plan, and, and that is knowledge, skills, and abilities. And so that knowledge is, uh, where are you, what are you connecting? What is the old knowledge, right, that you can connect? What are the things that your students already know that you can connect to the knowledge that you are trying to convey to them? When they walk away from this uh, lesson, right, what skills will they have? What skills will they be able to use? And then what abilities will these students be able to walk away with? And I believe that every sermon should have some KSAs in them. Right, that every sermon that we preach should have some prior knowledge that may connect uh, some things that people already know with what it is that you are trying to convey to them, that every sermon will uh, cause your hearer to walk away with some skills and some abilities that they can employ and use in their life and in the future, right? And so Peter connects their prior knowledge to this new knowledge. And what does he do? He says, even David, King David, Famous King David. You know, we love King David because uh, we love world leaders, right, uh, and power. But, but Peter says even David, and as much as they love David, he's dead and in the grave, right? Connecting all knowledge of the hearer. They knew all about David to, to this new knowledge that he's trying to convey, that, that they had sense enough to know that God's plan did not start or finish with David. That David was great, but even he had the revelation that somewhere down his own lineage was someone even greater. Y'all got to go back and, and read this sermon that, that Peter preaches. It is a Christ-centered sermon. Then while David is in his grave, Jesus is alive and, and sitting on his throne forevermore. And this is before the incarnation, long before Calvary, long before there's a resurrection, the prophets and David and even a lady named Anna and so many more bear witness uh, in their souls about Jesus. And now in this impromptu preaching moment, Peter stands uh, to highlight that now those who are assembled have a witness of their own. 
And do you know that that's what we're doing with our Christ-centered sermons? That, that we are connecting what has been and what is with what will be for them. We're pr- creating a foundation for them so that even as they leave us, some people will hear us preach and we will never see them again. That's just real, right? You'll never see them again. But you have that one opportunity in that sermon for that person, as you may never see again, to provide some foundation, to provide some centering of Jesus in their life. Sermon preaching, sermon crafting is incredibly important. It is incredibly impactful, and this is serious business. But how does this story matter in the life of the hero? That's what we're always to ask ourselves as we're crafting Christ-centered sermons. I've got 24 minutes. We'll see if we come in under 24. But Peter's preaching this day lets those that were assembled uh, know that they have a witness of their own, that, that what they heard was not at all hearsay or heresy, but that Jesus was the real deal. And not only is Jesus the real deal, but everything that Jesus promises, he comes through on. And it's critical that we stick with preaching Jesus. Do we have to go by the cross every time? No, because if your preaching of Jesus only means that all you do is go by the cross, then you are not being responsible in your preaching of Jesus because there are many angles. We've got to be aware of Jesus all the time. His story is so large and the principles of his teaching are so expansive that there's not only one way to convey Jesus in our preaching. And so the more we preach him, the more opportunity there is for people who have what those assembled at Pentecost had, not just the indwelling of the spirit, but a firsthand encounter with his character and his promises. Are y'all still with me? Wave your hand if you're still with me. We're almost there. You only have 23 minutes and 17 seconds left of me. Uh, but, But when we get back to Jesus... God's only son who came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit and became incarnate, God wrapped in flesh. He lived and he died a terrible death on the cross, but his story did not end at Calvary. And the story didn't end with the resurrection. And Jesus promised a helper. His salvation because of the cross would have been enough. Victory over death, hell, and the grave because of resurrection would have been enough too. But Jesus promised another blessing that would give us some power of our own. And the people we are preaching to need to know that there is a reservoir of power, especially in a world that on a daily basis, sometimes several times a day, makes people feel powerless. We can't always reach for these external things, that that we've got a reservoir of power that comes from within, but it starts with connecting with Jesus. It starts with believing wholeheartedly the things that Jesus has promised us. And while this power is to do his work in the earth until he returns, this power is also to promote the gospel and to win souls. That Christ-centered preaching promotes the gospel and ultimately wins souls. That if Jesus is being preached, somebody is going to come to him. We don't see any scripture evidence where Jesus is being preached and people don't come to him. Think on that. 
So sometimes we're wondering, how come nobody's getting saved? How come people aren't coming to the Lord? Well, is Christ at the center of your sermons? Is he being preached? And not just preached, but is he also being lived out in community? And that's at every area of what we are responsible for, right? That we should be able to see evidence of Jesus everywhere we go. Everything that you are in charge of, everything that you have influence over, there should also be evidence of the centering of Jesus in that. Are y'all with me? Okay, uh, 21 minutes, one second. Yeah. Uh, the power of this gospel is so real that it helps us to love our neighbors and love our enemies. It gives us peace when there is no peace, joy when we should not have any joy. Empowers us to serve and remain faithful to the call. It convicts us when we're wrong. Anybody ever been convicted when you were wrong? Within, not like by court of law. You know, I, I wasn't asking you that level of business, right? But, but it also gives us boldness to stand in Jesus' own prophetic tradition and speak truth to power and not back down. And so we preach. We preach Jesus. We craft sermons that are centered in him. But to do so, we've got to ask ourselves difficult questions. To preach Jesus, we've got to keep our finger on the pulse of our own theological and Christological and sociological ideas and maintain this truth that our awareness of how they influence and of how of the truth of how they influence our preaching, that how all of these things uh, influence our preaching. We can't shy away from the humanity of Jesus because the humanity of Jesus is just as important as the divinity of Jesus, right? We also can't shy away from the divinity of Jesus because we like the humanity a little better because we, you know, we can plan that either end, that if we want a more human Jesus that kind of gives us a little more rope to do and, and go, and then we'll lean on that. But eat the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus are equally important, and we've got to preach a balanced Jesus. Are y'all still with me? a balanced Jesus. We also cannot weaponize him to get our own points across. We don't use Jesus to beat up on the people we don't like. We, we don't use Jesus to beat up on the people whom we don't understand. You are not going to understand everything about everybody, but guess what? Can I give you a newsflash? Everybody doesn't understand everything about you either. But we don't use Jesus to get an upper hand or, or to use him as a tool to beat people down. Jesus came empowering and seeking to save the lost, not to destroy people because of differences that we don't understand. He is not a weapon. Can you say that with me? Jesus is not a weapon. And so we craft our sermons with Jesus' character and mission in mind and not just a, a retelling of what Jesus did. But in our preaching, the whole process of it from uh, how we live our own lives and how we're cultivating our personal relationship with him to putting the, the words to paper, to the study, to asking ourselves the hard questions, to interrogating the text, and then interrogating the sermons that we've crafted. Uh, all of it, the embodiment of all that is Jesus in mind, love and grace, and reconciliation and community and justice, we must preach Jesus. And why must we preach Jesus? Because what else is there to actually preach? And so we must keep him at the center. 
And that is what keeps our preaching relevant. That is what keeps our preaching in style. It's Jesus at the center of it. <laughs>